This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Friday, the 2nd of December. Here is today's weather forecast. Looks like a mainly cloudy day. Winds gusting a little bit and a chill of minus 7 this morning. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Doug Ford says he won't use the notwithstanding clause to fight the Bill 124 court ruling. Number two, the province is offering free rapid COVID tests until the end of June. Number three, a stranded airline crew has arrived home in Canada. Number four, Canada's men's soccer team returns home with a new focus on 2026. And number five, the world's greatest movie is a title you've probably never heard of. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good Friday morning. How did we get to Friday? Okay, I get it. I was away for two days, so it's uh, it was a little disorienting this week, um, but it's it's good to be back. And one of the things we'll actually talk about on the show this morning, Maureen Holloway in particular, when she joins us at 6.50, would be these days, it seems, if you get the common cold, and believe me, I've been testing myself again and again and again. I've been putting things up my nose and trying to make sure that I don't have COVID. And apparently I don't have COVID. I just have the common cold. However, the, uh, what, what should we say? Uh, terms of engagement seem to have changed uh, a considerable amount. So as soon as I had anything resembling a cold, all of a sudden everybody was treating me like I had typhoid. Um, so that's kind of how things uh, unfold these days, there is a, a greater level of paranoia, to say the very least, when it comes to having the slightest amount of uh, of illness. So yeah, it turns out it was the common cold. I took a couple of days off. Used to be a bit more, I guess I could say, of a martyr in the old days, and I would have worked through something like this. But then I've also learned to appreciate that people don't want to listen to somebody on the radio with a scratchy voice and wonder, great, you know, how infectious is this guy? So lots of things to talk about today, uh, including, I mean, honestly, stuff at Queen's Park. Uh, who knew it was going to heat up this much and so quickly? But we have, as you know, the uh, ruling, a judge's ruling that um, 124... And now we're, we're at such a point, it's, it's kind of funny, actually, that there are so many controversial provincial pieces of legislation that we have to start specifying exactly what we're talking about this time. And in this case, 124 was the legislation that imposed a 1% pay increase, maximum 1% pay increase for uh, provincial workers, and that has been ruled um, unconstitutional. And I think it's worth noting that uh, Doug Ford has actually said, okay, well, that's a setback. We're going to appeal, but we're not going to impose the notwithstanding clause. And that comes on the heels of the, I guess, what we could call the defeat of the provincial government when it comes to their um, legislation in terms of uh, education workers and that was, uh, you know, that was going to be unconstitutional. We all knew it. And ultimately, the province ended up backing off, withdrawing it, and withdrawing their, their imposition of the notwithstanding clause. Uh, 
So some some interesting developments at Queens Park in terms of how uh, Doug Ford is managing things, and it's not exactly breaking entirely in his favor. Um, but Nick, throw in number 22. Um, this is the premier saying effectively, yeah, we're going to appeal this, but we're not going to go for the nuclear clause. Uh, yes, we're, we're going to appeal. Uh, my hands are tied on what I can say. It's in front of the courts right now. Uh, I can say it was a very interesting verdict, to say the least, but that's about as far as I can comment on, on that. Uh, I think uh, we just look forward to the Court of Appeal uh, because there's precedent uh, throughout the country that they, they ruled another way. So I'm just trying to rationalize uh, why the ruling came down the way it was. And it's not entirely surprising that the ruling came down the way it did. And, you know, that's because there is considerable precedent in all of this. And that is that a government cannot impose a settlement on workers because then that automatically by default, you know, uh, deprives them of their ability to actually negotiate. So the fact that this ruling came through is not entirely surprising. However, Doug Ford is going to appeal it. And actually, I'm, I'm quite happy at that outcome because then it's probably going to go back to the Supreme Court and then the Supreme Court can rule once again. And, and sometimes courts will reverse themselves. I mean, there's a different composition right now in terms of the justices that are there. And they may decide that, um, you know, governments have a little bit more power to insist on certain settlements as employers. And so then we would take that off the table, you know, where we got to this ridiculous scenario with the education workers. Uh, but listen, let's keep moving. Uh, free rapid COVID-19 tests are now going to be available through next June. I'm certainly happy about that. Um, I've taken several COVID tests over the last couple of days because I wanted to see if I was safe to come into work. And the, the availability of free tests is helpful in, in that frame. So uh, the program is going to be extended until June 30th, 2023. You'll be able to get free COVID tests. It's, um, it was funny, as I was doing numerous COVID tests over the last couple of days, I was thinking about how you know, normalized this whole thing has become, that you know, here I was, okay, you got to put this thing up your nose, then you got to put it into the liquid, and then you got to let it sit, and then you got to put it into the, um, the cassette, as it's called, and then you got to see whether or not you get one stripe or two. And this is just something people do before they go to see their friends for, you know, a dinner. And it's become such a normalized aspect of our of our lives. But then so many things have, right, over the last couple of years, which have been absolutely insane. Uh, amongst other things that we're going to talk about with our friends on CP24 in just a couple of minutes when we uh, hook up with our sister television station, Beck Taxi, going after the city of Toronto. We'll have more details when we get there. But effectively, and I think they do have a case, they're insisting, wait a second, we used to have this test you had to take in order to become a professional for hire driver in the city of Toronto. And over the years, we've been taking all kinds of aspects of that test off of the table. And certainly that puts to mind this uh, case where a young 
couple were riding along to the airport with a driver for Uber who had no idea where he was going or what route he was on. And they ended one of them ended up being killed. And, you know, the the idea that you can just simply put out your tile and say that I am a professional driver and I'm going to drive people around. I'm going to pick them up and take them places. And that's going to be how I make my living. And that's going to be how they get around. Um, that has turned out to have, in that one case at the very least, uh, fatal consequences. And so, yeah, I think there should be a, a more stringent protocol in order to become a professional driver. Lots of other things to talk about today, including the latest um, focus of an encampment, a homeless encampment, that is going to probably turn into trouble the city has actually sent eviction notices, but curiously, there's some question as to whether or not these people who are encamping are on private land or public land, and whether or not the city has any right to evict them. All right, on this Friday morning, let's welcome John Moore to CP24. He, of course, is in the cozy confines of his home in Toronto. Uh, looks good, John. Glad to hear you back on the radio. I know you've been off for a couple of days. I've had a bit of a throat and voice issue myself, so good to hear your voice again. Yeah, it's nice to be here. And I have to say, you know, under these circumstances, everybody always does the test and tries to find out if it's COVID. Exactly. And there seem to be an awful lot of people who don't have COVID, but still have a cold. Yeah, it's very, Dr. Bogosh yesterday barely had a voice when he was talking to us. It's just sort of something appears to be in the air or in our throats as it appears. Uh, anyway, let's get into what Toronto's talking about this morning, uh, John. Uh, Premier Doug Ford says he will not use the notwithstanding clause uh, as he appeals or his government appeals Bill 20, uh, 124 after that court ruling uh, basically ruled it. Uh, illegal this this week. And this is the law that imposed a 1% wage increase on all public workers. And the courts have decided that that was uh, not fair, not good cricket. Um, interesting here that Doug Ford, having imposed the notwithstanding clause on two aspects of the legislation against the education workers, has opted not to do so here. And this is actually going to be an interesting court test because it's going to end up in the Supreme Court again. Supreme Court has previously ruled that a government cannot impose a settlement on workers because that denies them the right to collective bargaining. But this would not be the first time, should the court decide that maybe they've changed their minds, that this kind of a precedent has changed. But still, uh, for Doug Ford, a bit of a setback, actually a fairly major setback when you consider that if they can't hold public workers to 1%, then an awful lot of people in the province of Ontario may be entitled to much bigger raises. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, the sort of ripple effects of that for sure. It hasn't been the best week, definitely, for the Ford government down at Queen's Park. John, uh, in the meantime, Let's talk about the uh, municipal government, Beck Taxi, suing the city of Toronto for failing to enforce accredited vehicle for hire driver training. This is part of an ongoing battle with Beck Taxi. Obviously, ever since the introduction of Uber in the city of Toronto and elsewhere, uh, established taxi companies have been struggling. In this case, I think they may actually have a pretty good argument. What they're upset about is there used to be some pretty strict terms about who could be a professional driver and the uh, courses that those people had to follow. Those things have become somewhat more lax over the last few years. So Beck Taxi is saying, listen, if you want to be a professional driver in this city, there's going to have to be some sort of an imposed uh, regimen of education.
Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny, what, you know, I was in London recently, that, and those London cabbies, they talk about the strict standards and testing that they go through before you can get, you know, get a license to drive a London cab. Uh, seems like there's certainly a different standard here, so we'll see how this one plays out. Uh, John, this is an interesting one. The debate has been raging over this, you know, medical assistance in dying. Psychiatrists say Canada should delay made or medical assistance in dying for people with mental disorders. Yeah, this is one of those things that is so tough to talk about. And on our show, for example, a few years ago, we talked with a guy who was petitioning for medical assistance in dying because he suffered from clinical depression. He ultimately ended up taking his life. Now, the Supreme Court has ruled that it cannot be denied to people for mental health issues and mental health experts are now saying, whoa, 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 basically, we need to uh, you know, consider what we're going to do moving forward. This is, I think, one of the more fraught debates in our country. And the idea that people who do not have enough assistance, for example, in you know, uh, battling off suicidal ideation, that these people could apply for medical assistance in dying is beyond controversial. Yeah, it's it really is. I mean, it's just there's so many sides to this one, and it's just it's a it's sad and difficult to talk about. You're absolutely right, John. Uh, this one is uh, you know it's it's a happy ending, but it's a long overdue happy ending. I think this Pivot Airlines crew back in Canada arriving at Pearson last night after being held in the DR for about eight months. Yeah, this all started in April of this year. 200 kilograms of cocaine discovered in a plane's avionics bay. And the thing is that the crew reported this to not only officials in the Dominican Republic, but also officials in Canada. They called the RCMP. They still ended up being arrested. They were jailed. Then they ended up under house arrest. And finally, they have been repatriated to Canada. And you're looking at footage of them arriving around 7 p.m. last night. I think this is one of those cases where we'll learn more as you know time proceeds because I and there's a lot that, that is missing in this story yeah I mean imagine reporting that and then being detained for reporting it yeah. it's just sort of it's perplexing indeed uh, and this is you know we're all kind of reflecting the team is reflecting as well on you know we had huge hopes for Team Canada going into Qatar and the World Cup but you know an early exit I'm not sure if it lived up to what we were all expecting John I, I would agree with you. I'm having a bit of a hard time. I watched yesterday's game in its entirety, and it was kind of heartbreaking mm -hmm. to see Canada lose to Morocco. So that's three defeats. And so we're trying to have a very positive reflection on this. It's the first time since 1986 that Canada was at the World Cup. But at the same time, we're out after three games, all of which we lost. And now we have to look forward and project to 2026 and cross our fingers and hope. And I know that the coach is already petitioning to stay on until 2026. I imagine he probably will, but not the greatest frame for Canada at the World Cup. Yeah, I think Canada now sees where the rest of the world really legitimately is. It's certainly the cream of the crop mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, football around the world. And they've seen it now. They see where the bar is at. They see where they need to get. And they've got four years to sort of get a little closer to that. So we'll see what happens. Listen, John, good to chat with you today. Great to hear you back. You can listen to John Moore, News Talk 1010, more in the morning between five and nine. And uh, John, have a great day and a great weekend. That's our friend Nick Dixon over at CP24. And as Nick said, those of you riding along in the car or listening from home would probably not be able to tell that I'm working from home today. And that is as a result of having come down with a cold, two days off, I'm back. And our decision was just, you know, to make everybody feel that much more comfortable that I would work from home today. And uh, that's just fine. It all seems to work out fairly well, except for little bleeps from Facebook. Let's, uh, there we go. Let's disarm that right now. Um, so listen, this is one of those days.
where there are like a hundred stories, few of which necessarily, you know, are, are the most important story of the day, but all of which need to be considered. So let's press the pause button. And when we come back, we'll uh, get our, get ourselves in order. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. It's a sweet, sweet Friday! (laughs) You're right, Nick Marano. We had not officially declared that it was a sweet, sweet Friday, but it is indeed a sweet, sweet Friday. Sweeter all the more because I had two days off and I wasn't exactly entirely enjoying them. But, you know, when you get a cold and you think, "I, I need to stay away from work for a couple of days and you watch some Netflix and read some books and take huge naps. And I have to say, um, I think most people know my schedule these days, which is I go to bed at nine, I wake up at two, I do the show, I try to get a nap quite often. It doesn't take. So, you know, I get by on what I can get by on. And I'm not John Tory. John Tory apparently can get by on four hours a night. Uh, That doesn't do the trick for me. And I went to bed a couple of nights ago when I wasn't feeling great. And I woke up and it was like 12 hours later, which was absolutely nuts. But as you can hear in my voice, I'm in much better shape today. And this being a Friday, hey, we're going to have a great show this morning. And then two two days off and here we go. Um, so Team Canada is coming home from the World Cup. And I'm going to leave it to people who know a great deal more about sports and soccer to assess whether or not our team pulled anything off. But I do have to say, having lost three games, um, you know, it's great that we were there for the first time in 36 years. But I'm sure that most soccer fans would have preferred that we had done a little better. Yesterday, we lost to Morocco 2-1. I was watching that game. And I've been very, very frank about the fact that soccer just isn't my thing. I watch soccer and I don't quite get it. And I'm, that's no judgment on soccer. So, you know, put down the device. If you want to tell me, well, what about golf? It's about a bunch of grown men chasing a ball around. You're absolutely right. Every sport has its challenges, has its fans, and has its um, nonsense. But I must say, watching Canada go to the World Cup and come home after three games and not go to the next frame is somewhat depressing. Here's Alfonso Davies, who is acknowledged to be pretty well Canada's number one star when it comes to soccer. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't really, you know, pick, pick, and, uh, pick and choose, you know. Uh, you can't point fingers. Everybody on this team has quality. Yeah, I mean, we just have to come together, you know, see what we do, what we did wrong. You know, first time on this big stage. Yeah, it's, it's new for everybody. You know, it's a different different atmosphere, different different quality of play. And yeah, we just have to get used to it. And uh, and we have to look forward and move forward to 2026. And then there's John Herdman, the coach. And he was expressing in his post-game interview that he thought that the team showed grit. And so now it's on. And, you know, obviously he has a bit of a self-interest in this, right? Like, he would like to remain the coach for the next four years and take us to 2026. That they were two inches away from scoring the first goal, uh, the first points for Canada. And I think everyone thought that ball was going to cross the line. We were willing it, but it didn't. So I think you're seeing that resilience. You're seeing our quality. This is a Moroccan team that's just won the group. And I thought we showed that spirit, you know, that Canadian grit that we came here to show. And it times our quality. So, uh, John, uh, Joe has some exclusive audio. Yes. You try. 
tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is never try. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm not going to be all judgy because I don't know enough about soccer to, to necessarily have that informed an opinion. Uh, I will say, though, that once again, we went for lunch yesterday at a sports bar and we were watching the game Canada versus Morocco. And then I was watching. And the thing is, the sound is always off. So at the end of the game, they brought in these four soccer experts and they were talking about the game. And one of them was one of the members of the women's Canada women's soccer team. And she had a look on her face. Maybe I'm reading in too much, but it just seemed to suggest, dudes, all you can do is talk about men's soccer. We just lost three games. Canada's women are the best in the world. So don't try to lecture me about what works and what doesn't work in soccer. Uh, meanwhile, let's get back to uh, not necessarily politics. I was going to say politics, but it's actually just sort of, you know, stuff that's happening in a political context. But Doug Ford seems to be a little ticked off at Bonnie Lissick, who is the Auditor General, uh, insisting she should, quote, stay in her lane and audit government spending. All of this arising out of the fact that we learned earlier this week that Bonnie Lissick and her company had run these sort of undercover operations at casinos to figure out if casinos were engaged in money laundering. And this is beyond a debatable for our panel. Uh, Deb Hutton is on patrol this morning at 6.20 in the morning brief, and then we have our roundtables at 7.45 and 8.45. But, you know, it's... It's worth asking whether Lissick is supposed to be sitting there with a pencil going over government spending or whether she should be actually launching undercover investigations into government spending. Because let's face it, casinos are government operations. Um, but apparently Lissick hired, quote, mystery shoppers for a covert mission at four Ontario casinos, uh, casinos in Toronto, Niagara Falls and Windsor, to test anti-money laundering efforts at facilities overseen by the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. And I appreciate, I said this in the last half hour, but, you know, maybe some of you joined us for the news at 5.30. I always find it beyond ironic that if you're in the opposition, you adore the Auditor General. As soon as you get in government, she is a monster, or they are a monster. And all of a sudden, Bonnie Lissick, having torn at the liberals for years, is now going after the conservatives. And all of a sudden, the conservatives are not all that ex excited about it. But here's Doug Ford, the premier, talking about the fact that he thinks Bonnie Lissick was out of her lane. I can't speak for the police, but uh, I, I know they, I'm sure they wouldn't be happy, be it the OPP, local police or RCMP. The Auditor General has to stay in her lane, you know, and, and focus on, on where there's waste of money. You can't do a sting operation. You can't all of a sudden deputize yourself and think you're the Secret Service going around doing sting operations that failed, uh, by the way, and they, they were caught. Now these poor folks that they hired are now banned from the casinos. So she needs to stay in her lane, focus on value for money. And uh, I think she's had a problem doing that over the last little while. See, I don't have any hard and fast opinion on this, so I'll be very curious to hear what our pundits have to say about it. Um, I do like the reference from the Premier that the people who participated in this operation are now banned from the casinos. I don't see that as a sad thing, but you probably know my record. I, the, on, there's, the only thing 
I have maintained from my upbringing in the United Church is a complete and utter loathing for gambling. And so I will forever be indifferent to the travails of running a casino or a lottery. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. We will discuss this with Maureen Holloway and uh, various other people today. But uh, every 10 years, there is this elite poll that is done of movie critics and people in the movie industry, and they ask them, what are the greatest movies ever made? And for the very first time, a movie that was directed by a woman, it's uh, worth mentioning, has been named the best movie ever made. It is uh, Jean you see, I, I hesitate as I read it because I have never even heard of this movie. Now, if somebody told you that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom had been created the greatest movie ever made, you'd already have some degree of familiarity. Uh, but with apologies, and as a guy who spent time in university studying cinema, I have never heard of this. Even if it was Les Parapluies de Cherbourg, uh, the, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I would go, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah, or The Bicycle Thief, which is an Italian movie. Okay, I got it. People have always talked about that being a great movie. But this is Jean Dillemin, 23, Quai de Commerce, uh, 1080 Bruxelles. Okay, 1975, neo-realistic classic about the daily affairs of a Brussels homemaker played by Delphine Serig, uh, who works as a part-time prostitute, I might add. Um, the director, a Belgian woman, was 25 years old when she made this movie. Now, customarily, the number one movie in the world has always been either Vertigo or, um, uh, quickly... Um, Citizen Kane. Yeah. Uh, but for, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this movie has vaulted to the top. Uh, Jean Delemain, uh, followed by, now number two is Vertigo, number three, Citizen Kane, number four, Tokyo Story, um, number five, In the Mood for Love, number six, 2001, A Space Odyssey, and that's followed by Beau Travail, Mulholland Drive, which is a David Lynch movie, uh, Man with a Movie Camera, and number 10, Singing in the Rain. And if I were to pitch you right now, would you like to come over to my house and watch a movie? You'd probably go for Singing in the Rain, which is, I have to say, um, there's certain movies where, you know, you would just, if, if I, I remember my parents got to the point in their lives where they got tired of anything new. And so they had about 20 DVDs they would just watch over and over and over. And I was in. I would go to visit my parents, and they would say, do you want to watch Carousel, or do you want to watch Sing in the Rain, or do you want to watch The Wizard of Oz, or Some Like It Hot? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. That, for me, is the rubric of a great movie. And for me, annually, um, I've got a short list of about five movies that I will watch every single year and without any kind of regret. And... You know, so I guess I've got to go out and watch this uh, particular movie now that it's being named as the greatest movie of all time. I've got to actually figure out what it is. So anyway, we'll talk about that with Maureen Holloway at 6.50 this morning. Also on the agenda for that conversation will be something I've observed over the last couple of days, which is simply that there's no such thing as the common cold anymore. Nowadays, you know, I came down to something. I took my COVID test. 
I was negative for COVID. I'll take another one before I come back to the office. I'm working from home today from Zach the Dog Studios. Um, but, it, you know, as soon as you have a scratchy throat, as soon as you're missing from work, for example, I would head out and go and buy my newspaper and I put on a mask because I knew the people at the bookstore at, um, uh, you know, City Books or Book City, actually, uh, that they listen to the show. They would know I was missing. So they'd say, what's wrong with you? And so I thought, okay, so now I'm typhoid Mary. And so having a cold now is a very different affair. Maybe you've already experienced this and the scant size you get from friends, relatives, and coworkers when they find out that you've been missing from work because you have a common cold. So Doug Ford, again, back to Doug Ford. This has not been a great week for Doug Ford. If he wants to be liked if he doesn't mind and he's just politicking then i guess he's fine um but he's been picking a fight with a lot of people and certainly when the courts decided this week that the bill that imposed a one percent pay increase and no more for or uh, for civic workers um when they overruled that that was not the greatest development for doug ford and then you get into doug ford and mayor john tory have mostly had a pretty good time of late but uh, John Tory has appealed to the province for money in order to make up the shortfall, which he says in, is entirely to blame on COVID. And now Doug Ford is accusing Toronto of mismanaging its financing. This is in reference, actually, to the housing bill. The housing bill, you know, to tr- sort of roll things back and very quickly treat this, uh, the housing bill is designed to accelerate the construction of new housing and it is waiving development fees on some construction and then um, municipalities are saying whoa how are we supposed to make that money up well in return premier doug ford is saying okay well listen maybe you could make it up because you are uh, not actually running your city the right way Um, but you know doug ford and rob ford in their time they had four years at toronto city hall And they insisted the whole time that the city was mismanaging its finances. And I know that they claim to have saved almost a billion dollars. But if you go over the figures, it never really happened. And so the idea that you can spend four years as a city councillor, as principal advisor to a mayor, and insist that there is still flab in the fund that you can't find is is a bit of a uh, you know is a bit of a charge let's just put it that way that's the breakfast wrap my name is john moore i hope we'll talk again soon you've been listening to the breakfast wrap with john moore don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts and listen weekday mornings from five to nine on news talk 1010